Welcome to Paint Ed. PCA provides painting contractors with connections they need to grow their business. To find out more and to become a member, visit PCAPainted.org. Find more great content like this on PCA Overdrive. A subscription to the platform is included with membership. For all of you non-members out there, sign up for a free trial. PCA Overdrive is available on the App Store and Google Play. This episode is brought to you by Bear and Federated Insurance. Welcome to the Painter Marketing Mastermind Podcast, the show created to help painting company owners build a thriving painting business that does well over $1 million in annual revenue. I'm your host, Brandon Pierpont, founder of Painter Marketing Pros and creator of the popular PCA educational series, Learn, Do, Grow, Marketing for Painters. In each episode, I'll be sharing proven tips, strategies, and processes from leading experts in the industry on how they found success in their painting business. We will be interviewing owners of the most successful painting companies in North America and learning from their experiences. In this series titled The Birth of a Giant, Brad Ellison of Ellison Painting will be discussing what it looks like to start a professionalized and profitable painting company from day one. It is a four-part series. In episode one, we discussed Brad's decision to walk away from his previous partnership and the assets he found available to him. In episode two, Brad dove into what it looks like to launch a highly professionalized painting company from scratch. In episode three, Brad discussed how to effectively build systems and processes that create a roadmap for future success. And in this final episode, episode four, Brad will elaborate on what it looks like to scale a painting company, both in terms of mindset and concrete steps. If you want to ask Brad questions related to anything in this podcast series, You can do so on our exclusive Painter Marketing Mastermind Podcast Forum on Facebook. Just search for Painter Marketing Mastermind Podcast Forum on Facebook and request to join the group or type in the URL facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Painter Marketing Mastermind. Again, that URL is facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Painter Marketing Mastermind. There you can ask Brad questions directly by tagging him with your question so you can see how anything discussed here applies to your particular painting company. Brad is a return guest from season two of the Painter Marketing Mastermind podcast. Brad, thank you for conducting this wonderful series, The Birth of a Giant, with us. Well, well, man, you conducted it. I'm just here for the ride. I, I'm here for the ride, man. You, uh, you're one of the easiest podcast guests I have. You, you, you got the the itineraries pretty outlined. They go in a, a method. You know, I, I don't have to go by the by uh, the seat of my pants as much as I usually do. Good, but you're good at going by the seat of your pants, bro. That's why I, people love being interviewed by you. Well, yeah, I feel like people love listening to me. I don't know whether they love being interviewed by me or not. I feel like I push a little bit, but hopefully. That's that's what a good interview does, man. I appreciate that, brother. I know you, you've run your own popular podcast. So coming from you, it means a lot. I do appreciate it. Mm -hmm. Um, Let's dive in, man. So we, we've kind of talked about you walking away, you know, everything we just went through the, the decision to grow the the business, what that looked like in the very beginning. Mm -hmm. And now we're okay. You've got that base. You've established it. You're looking forward. So this is the mm-hmm. first thing I think this is the first episode that's really forward looking for you um, about scaling. Yeah. I mean, uh, at this point, pretty much everything we're going to talk about today is technically kind of hypothetical or theoretical in nature. Right? Mm-hmm. I have plans on how to scale, um, but most of the things we're going to be talking about and most of my strategies 
I've seen other companies do it. So it is a proven track to success, but I'm, I'm really interested in sharing with you and your audience, you know, what my plans are to, to actually scale. And what's funny about saying that is a lot of, a lot of painting companies will look at what I've already done and said, Oh, he already scaled. He's already at scale. Right. But, uh, fortunately we have other people to look up to that are far, 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 um, ahead of me on the track that I'm trying to catch up with. So refresh us on where you're at, you know, when companies look and, and they would say you already scale, what does that mean? Where are you? Mm-hmm. So we launched end of April, beginning of May. We're at, um, we're going to wrap up the year at about one and a quarter million in sales, I think. And, and basically what is that? Eight months, something like eight, that. Eight months. Yep. About eight months. That's yeah, pretty solid for the first, <laughs> first eight months. First eight months. Right. Yeah. Awesome. What is, uh, What's your goal for 2023 as we head into this new year? So our mutual friend, Skylar Stewart, actually texted me this morning and we ended up hopping on a phone call because I, I was just working on that today. Uh, the goal for 2023 is uh, $3 million. That's awesome. So it was two and a half. I'm going to push it to three. Um, it's been fun with Skylar because Skylar's been in business for a few years now and he's going to finish the year at about a million. I think I might beat him my first year, which makes me happy. But uh, he's doing sure great. It makes him happy too. Yeah, I'm sure it does. <laughs> so, and he said he was aiming for 2.1 this coming year. Um, a little more ambitious on my end, but we'll see. Yeah. Cool, man. So let's get into, you know, what it looks like, not just to grow, but to scale. What's the difference there? Well, scaling, if you build systems that allow you to scale, it allows you to grow not only more quickly, but with a lot more structure uh, and systems in, uh, in place or structure and systems. Yeah. Yep. Um, more repeatable processes, the ability to, to bring people on and not try to reinvent the wheel every time. So scaling is a process of basically duplicating rather than creating, right? Would would you agree with that? I would. Yeah. Jason Phillips describes it as, I think he's actually got one at his office, the easy oven, you know, easy to bake those brownies or or whatever, like a child can do it. That's right. You create the recipe and now put in the ingredients and there you go. Yeah. So what what is um, what is step one, right? If you're if you're the owner and you you're conducting, you're wearing all the hats, you're doing a bunch of different job roles. What's step mm-hmm. one? Well, I, mean, I guess step one technically would be to to look at goals, right? What what are your goals uh, for the production of your company and the revenue and the profit and all that? But I think the tactical first step is an updated org chart. So if we talked about having an org chart in place when you launch a company. Um, even at my size, where it's essentially me and a project manager, that's our org chart. And we lay out our tasks and responsibilities that each of us are responsible for. Uh, but as you are looking forward to like big growth and scaling type growth, you, you need to have that updated org chart. So it's going to be constantly evolving. Um, there's going to be redistribution of tasks and responsibilities as a company grows. But you have to have that future org chart in mind. And that's going to help you plan the steps to get where you want to be. Right. Yeah. So one of the things that we've been thinking about, um, I did, were you at Garrett Martell's uh, breakout last year I, at the Expo? I, I wasn't. Yeah, I heard really good things about it. Yeah. So he did this really interesting talk, and it was really just like dink, 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 step by step. Uh, essentially, what roles and people are needed to hit certain revenue milestones. And he went, you know, at one million, you need this many salespeople and project managers. Two million, three million, four. And then he sent us all the all the documents, all of his um, uh, all of his PowerPoint slides or whatever that that kind of tracked that. So, I guess for us, we we said, okay, well, if we want to hit say three million. 
Um, and right now it's just me and one project manager. What do we need to do? And, and what, I guess, what is the capacity of each role? So I would say for sales, we've set the capacity and the, the goal at $1.5 million in sales per salesperson. Okay. Now that is a number that I is, I've proven is attainable. Um, the, the first year I started selling painting services was zero, uh, zero experience and very, very little guidance uh, on it. I sold $900,000 in my first six months. Okay? Oh, wow. And ever since then, I've sold anywhere between 1.5 and 2 million by, uh, on my own. So the 1.5, and that 1.5 is an easy 1.5 million. That's without me doing any in-home presentations. It's, it's simply doing estimates, um, kind of the easy way. So a goal of a salesperson should be 1.5 million. Uh, in speaking with other uh, company owners in our industry, I've been told that 1.5 million is a reasonable expectation for a project manager to manage. So essentially for every $1.5 million in sales and revenue, you need one salesperson, one project manager, right? One person to sell them, one person to complete it. Yep. Uh, now, when at my size with at one and a half, 1.25 million in, in eight months, we've been able to do that with just that. Now, technically we were ahead of that, that pace, right? If you extrapolate our data over 12 months, from eight months to 12 months, we're at like 1.8 million, I guess, run rate. And we were able to effectively manage that with one salesperson and one project manager. Uh, but it's, it's, eventually gets to a point where you can't just have a one for one. The company is going to be large enough. There's going to be enough, say, incoming phone calls, uh, incoming emails, people that need to be touched before they even become an estimate, for example, you need to have administrative help. Mm -hmm. So uh, and the number I've been given there is one admin or scheduler per four to six total sales people and project managers. So what I'm predicting is if we're going to do $3 million in, in revenue next year, we're going to need two salespeople, uh, two full-time salespeople, two full-time project managers, and one administrative person. So that's my plan. So when you, you have one admin per, per four to six, which based on this math means basically three to four and a half million of revenue, when, is the, when would you recommend getting that? What's the lowest barrier? Like when would you get that admin? we could have taken on an admin this fall. We were, we were busy enough that it was taking a lot of my time to respond to estimate requests and uh, project. My project manager is, he's the one that's in charge of keeping track of all of our paint costs, material costs, labor costs, all that. We could have brought someone on in the fall as an admin. We, we could have done it then, um, but we knew we were going to slow down in the winter and it didn't make any sense. So, I would say you need to bring on an admin, you need to bring on another salesperson, you need to bring on another project manager before you start selling those $3 million worth of jobs. So our plan in Michigan, uh, it's super slow during the winter. My plan is to hire beginning of March for those three roles. So I'm gonna make a big splash, bring three new hires on pretty much at the same time. And that's going to give us about a month and a half before exterior season officially starts. So we'll be selling a lot of exterior jobs in March. Um, we'll be coordinating them. We won't actually be executing and producing them until middle of April or so. So by that point, when we need to be humming at 100%, hypothetically, everyone's up to speed. Okay. So you're bringing them on to, to make sure that they have the time to train and get acclimated before things mm -hmm. are full force. 
Yep. And that's a, it's a sunk cost at the beginning, right? I'm not going to be making yep. any money off any yep. of those. It's going to be just an expense, but I, I firmly believe that we can hit that $3 million revenue mark, but we're only going to do it if we have the people in place. So it, it's a short-term investment for a super huge long-term gain. Yep. Got it. Yeah. You're investing into the business and uh, betting on yourself, so to speak, but not overly risky bet. That's right. Okay. Um, I do want to put push on one thing here. I think this is really just a marketing. I think it kind of goes outside of the scope of what we're saying right now, but there are going to be some people who are listening say, you know, one salesperson for one and a half million. I'm not even at one and a half million. You know, I'm at 700,000, 500,000, right? Wherever they are. What would you say to them? Should they be looking at a salesperson or should they be that salesperson until they're at one and a half? Uh, I would say that you don't need a second salesperson. Well, it depends on if that person's good at sales or not. Right. I think that a bad salesperson can sell five to seven hundred thousand dollars worth of painting services if they have the lead flow. Right. I mean, if if I gave someone all of the leads that I ran this year with very little sales experience, very little sales acumen, they could stumble into five to seven hundred thousand dollars worth of sales. Yeah. Right. Um, so if 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 a if a painter is good at sales and they're selling five to seven hundred thousand, if the goal is to go from five to 700,000 up to one and a half million. And they're, well, if they're a good salesperson, then I would say they should continue to do that. They can be the face sure. of their organization, but it would be worth the investment to bring a project manager on to take over their responsibilities on the job. If they're bad at sales, then no, do the opposite. Stay on as project manager, handle the, the scheduling of the projects themselves and the completion of the projects, but hire a killer out there to, to sell the jobs. Outsource where you're weakest. Yep. I think we talked about that on a previous episode too. Yep. Cool. Okay. So then we have, we have basically the cadence, the revenue numbers of when we need to hire these different positions. How do we set these benchmark goals? So we, I know you're, you've read the book traction, right? Yep. And the uh, entrepreneur operating system. We've, we've for, talked for about Nick's that. homework. It's required reading. That's right. It's required reading. So we, we set our benchmark goals based on our, um, our, our VTO. So we have our, our 10 year target. We have our three year picture. We have our one year plan and we have our quarterly rocks. So that's, that's the first thing that's like written down. Here's where we want to be in 10 years. Here we, here's what we want three years to look like. Here's our plan to make moving in the, in the next year and so on. Um, but I've also, I also talk with other companies and say, what's reasonable? What have you seen people do? Uh, what type of growth is possible? Um, what type of growth should be expected um, and, and go from there. So I already mentioned the, the 2022 expo speech by Garrett Martell. That was, that was pretty helpful for me. Um, but of course I'm talking to all, all our friends and seeing yeah. how have you scaled? What, what numbers are reasonable? Yeah. Um, and then of course the, the real question is how do you, how do you hit those benchmark goals? And we kind of talked about it already. We, you, you hire preemptively. So, I can't say for sure that I'll hit 3 million this next year, but I can say that we definitely won't hit it if we don't have that team in place. Right? So I feel confident that, you know, we, we track our data, we manage our finances well. It's not like we're, you know, we need, we need the money from today's job uh, or the next job to pay for the last job and, and so on and so forth. I'm not, we keep a pretty healthy balance in our bank. So, that allows me to to take bold risks uh, without basically threatening the existence of Ellis and Painting if things go awry. Yeah. Right? Yep. You're, and you're if we, 
if oh, we fa- sorry if we if we fail if we end up at one and a half million for next year i'm still doing great like that's still yeah. a great life for us and ellison painting is still technically thriving i'm still making more money than i need yeah so you're pretty good at the numbers and you've got that that pretty dialed in but for somebody who's listening and you say you know hey we keep a healthy balance right essentially you're not living you know paycheck to paycheck here you, mm-hmm. you, you know you have a healthy balance what is a healthy balance what how should people be looking at that with their company well, I think that can be answered a couple of different ways, and it's going to depend on um, how efficient they are in their collections. Because the painting business, especially what, if we're talking about residential repaints, it's, which is pretty much all that I do, the cash flow is quick. The payments are quick. And the expectation should be when you finish the job, you get a check or a payment from that customer on the last day. Yeah. So you shouldn't be having to float out material costs and labor costs much because it's every job should be profitable and you should be paid for it as soon as it's done. So really, I I don't even think you need to have that much of a balance in there just to operate a business. Um, We keep, uh, you know, dollars wise, we keep about $200,000 in our, in our business checking account. If you talk to some of our friends that own commercial companies, they have like one to $2 million in their account, right? To float those big jobs. I don't think you need 200,000. I would say, depending if say you got three or four crews and you're doing a million dollars a year, I would keep, I don't know, a couple months worth of labor and material costs in a bank account. Um, and so what's that? Maybe, maybe 50 to a hundred thousand. Now that's, that's for a company that's aggressively trying to scale. Hmm. And if, and if you're not, you can keep much less and every, Keep a minimum balance of thirty or forty thousand dollars, maybe, and cash out your uh, all the profit every quarter if you want. Uh, for me, we, my wife and I, live under our means, and we have since we um, started dating, and so that allows us to invest more money and risk more money than others would. So we can we can take that risk and and bring on essentially maybe fifteen to twenty thousand dollars worth of additional. Uh, employee costs, and we're gonna we're gonna probably double our marketing expense starting in March as well, and so we may eat fifty or sixty thousand dollars into our account before we start seeing a return on it. Yeah. Okay. That's a that was a very helpful, and I think at a minimum people should be taken away. You know, you, you should probably at least have a couple months, a few months um, in there if, if things take a turn or you you hire and it turns out it was premature or that hire didn't work, and so you have to hire again. Mm-hmm. You know, don't don't be uh, don't be two weeks out. Yeah. And, I, and honestly, operationally, what that does, if we're not even talking about growth, we're just talking about operations. It allows me to not freak out in the winter. Yeah. We're not we're not making much money right now. I got eight crews and three of them are working. Right. So we're we're way under our capacity, but I don't have to start offering jobs at cost or even at a loss to keep guys busy. I don't I'm fine. We're going to weather the winter and um December and January, I may actually post a loss a little bit for the company, but we have such a large cash reserve that a small loss in the grand scheme of things means nothing. It's the price of doing business in Michigan. Yep. Yeah, sure is. So you, so we've talked about sales, uh, one and a half million per salesperson, kind of for people under that, how they can think about it. And then we mentioned, I guess there, there are two different components of sales. One is the lead flow. So the number of leads you, you have coming in, the quality of those leads. And then the second is the close rate. So the ability of the salesperson to close, the professionalization, reputation of the company, online reviews, all that stuff. Let's dive into the actual marketing component and what you're using, the different strategies you're using to scale Ellison Painting. 
Okay. Well, these strategies, I think we had talked about them in previous episode as well. There were some strategies that were highly effective to launch quickly. They, they may not get you the best ROI dollar for dollar, but they're going to get you immediate results. Um, so for example, the, you know, Facebook ads are, mm -hmm. that was, that was one of the strategies quick I used flow. very heavily. Yep. Quick lead flow, not great lead flow quality wise, but quick lead flow and high volume. So what we're trying to think now is, okay, so if we're going to go from one, one and a quarter in our first eight months to 3 million in year two, and obviously I'm thinking far beyond year two, I'm, I'm thinking year five, year 10. What are the strategies that we should be working on now so that we can continue the level of expo explosive growth that we've seen up to this point? So referrals is our number one long-term strategy. You can't really spend money to get referrals. At least you can't do it ethically. But you know, as time passes, more and more projects are completed. Referrals become more and more valuable. We have more and more evangelists for Ellison painting. More people have heard of us, more people have used us. Uh, you know, Slavic, he does something like, I think he said he's going to do 2.8 or $3 million by the end of 2022. And something like 40 to 50% of his leads come from word of mouth and referral. Hmm. So think about that. That's say one and a half million dollars worth of revenue that he didn't spend a dollar for when it comes to marketing. So that's, that's a long-term strategy. And that's something that continues to become more effective as you do more projects. You, cause then you end up with repeat customers, which is, which what I would, you know, that's an unpaid marketing, yeah. uh, unpaid marketing source. Um, happy customers refer their friends, their family, people just start to know who you are and those referrals come in. So that's, that I'm, I would love, I would love to be able to maintain the percentage of our work that comes from referrals right now. When I was talking to Skylar this morning, he actually was asking me, what's your, what's been your highest return? And I looked at it and of that 1.27 million that I've sold to date, about 50% has been referral. Can you believe that? That's incredible. In our first year, that's insane. over $600,000 worth of sales just from people referring us, which I think speaks to, um, and a lot of that is customers that are referring us to their friends, but a lot of it is the the goodwill uh, that Rachel and I have in this community and the reputation that we've built. I think people generally like us, maybe they like her and they tolerate me, but regardless, they see Ellison and they, uh, they're referring us out to a lot of people, which I didn't get at my last company. We didn't get a lot of referral business and we just got so much, especially when we first launched. So if we can do keep... anything to, to try to get that, like, do you, do you ask for it at all or does it just happen? Um, we, I mean, we ask for referrals in some of our, um, in our drip campaigns after we do, uh, after we make sales. So but I think a lot of it for everyone listening, you, you have an automated system that's sending messages asking for referrals, referrals, somewhere. reviews. We talked about that last time too. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I think part of it honestly is this, this, I can't track this directly back to our paid Facebook ads, but our Facebook ads are everywhere. I mean, in our local, in our local area, if you're on Facebook, you're seeing our ads and you're seeing them many times. And because it's my last name and because so many people know who me or my dad or someone in my family, they know the last name Ellison, yep. we are top of mind. So when someone goes on Facebook and says, Hey, I'm looking for a marketer. We're getting a lot of people saying, Oh, you should reach out to Brad Ellison, Ellison painting. So it's not, I can't track it directly to Facebook ads, but I'm sure that's helping that us brand awareness. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Awesome. Do you have yep. one more question on that, Brad? Because yeah, I know you said ethically you can't pay for it. Do you ever offer any kind of incentive or, or discount or anything like that for referrals? Uh, I, we haven't. 
Um, and I don't really want to get into it. I think it actually creates an opportunity for a negative interaction because oftentimes they're very hard to track, right? So we could offer a hundred dollars for a referral and you know, you call Ellison painting and you, you say, yeah, I was referred by someone, but we don't track who it's from. And then your friend, Jimmy, who referred you is like, Hey Brad, how come I never got that hundred dollars? Because I referred mm-hmm. Brandon Pierpont. I thought, I thought I was going to get a hundred bucks. Well, yeah. if you don't have an effect, effective way to, uh, to track that, or if the referral isn't mentioning, you know, Jimmy was the one that referred me. It's super hard to track. And that happened at my last company too. You create a mess for yourselves. Yeah. And I, and I honestly think that because I operate this way and I bet you do too. If someone does a great job, I don't want, I don't need you to pay me yeah. to refer you. You're I'm happy to do it. How come? Um, I, I like your business. I like you. I want you to be successful. And I want to refer, I want my, my friends and family to find someone and use someone that I know is reliable and yep. trustworthy. So yep. makes sense. I trust that other people operate the same way. Perfect. So yeah, referrals, they're always going to be your best lead source. Uh, hands down, you should be closing those all day long and you should mm-hmm. be having very high profit margins if you're running a reputable company. Mm-hmm. Um, what is next on your list of marketing strategies? So as I look at the other companies in our industry that have scaled to the the level that I want to scale to, um, so again, Paris, Slavic, Garrett, and Martel, all of them are implementing something around door hangers and every door direct mail. So, and that's... So those, those two... Uh, strategies have been very effective for us this year. And we've really just kind of hit the, the tip of the iceberg with those. We, we focused on a limited number of areas and zip codes, but I think that can easily be scaled as we increase our need for leads. So whether that's expanding to more areas or hitting the most profitable areas more often, I mean, our most profitable zip code is 48009. It's it's Birmingham. It's a, like a wealthy subdivision here, or suburb rather. And uh, we hit, we only hit them once with the door hangers. And I got like $85,000 worth of business from those 5,000 door hangers, right? So maybe I just hit that zip code three or four times a year. And I may not get the exact same return every single mailer, but hey, all right, let's identify 48009 as our hotbed and continue to hit that while we're hitting other areas and spreading geographically. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Do you find with, with this direct mail, with the door hanger that you're usually able to get the return right away? Or do you find that sometimes you have to send it a couple of times the same addresses to, to really start seeing a lot of return? Well, for most of our mailers and our door hangers, we only hit them once and we got an immediate return. And so you need to be prepared because when you, when you do a mailer or a door hanger campaign, you are going to get a high volume of responses almost immediately. Like the day they go out, right? Someone says, oh, top of mind, I'm going to call or I'm going to schedule an estimate. And then it, it tapers off over time to the point where, you know, maybe a month later, you'll get a random call. Hell, I had this door hanger stuck to my, uh, stuck to my fridge for the past month and now it's time, yeah. right? Um, but it's, it's more of a direct thing. But our, our strategy moving forward will be to hit them on a consistent uh, consistent rhythm with different messages based on the season. Yeah. So when you send that out, make sure you are ready uh, for those calls that you're ready to handle those leads. Cause otherwise you're going to just waste marketing dollars. If you're not getting, not picking up the phone or not getting back to them right away. Exactly. And so if you're going to send 50,000 out or 40 or 50,000, like I did, don't do them all at one time. Mm. Cause now you're going to have people waiting for estimates for weeks. So we spread it out. We found the right rhythm was about 5,000 out per week. 
which we're going to up it to, to 10,000 per week uh, come this spring if we're going to have two salespeople. Got it. Yep. Make sure you're spreading it out. Yep. Um, perfect, man. All about getting that ROI on your investment. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have referrals, we have door hangers. Let's get into some digital stuff that I know you do as well. Sure. So Google has been a, a primary strategy for us. Um, as you know, better than most, the SEO is going to continue to get better and better uh, as more attention or as more attention is paid to your website mm-hmm. um, and you know regular relevant content creation. So I love SEO. We're getting some great results and moving up in the rankings for our website and we're getting calls, we're getting clicks. Uh, we're using PPC, which I think is feeding into that. Um, I, I don't, you know, we don't actually know Google's algorithm, right? But uh, wouldn't we all be shocked if Google wasn't rewarding companies that were buying advertising by also increasing their their organic search results? What do you think on that? Uh, I'm hesitant to speculate on that. I, I think uh, it if it moves the needle, I, I honestly don't think it's significant. I think they are pretty separate, but Google rewards everything. Right, and yeah. Google business profiles tied. People think you don't don't need to do anything there, but it actually is gonna gonna move your website. It's all interconnected. Yeah. Well, regardless, PPC can be turned on and off as needed. So as your SEO gets better and better, and you're getting more and more organic traffic, the natural progression would be to scale back your PPC. And if we if I can eventually get it down to to zero, uh, that would be great. Yeah. Um, but as as you work on your PPC campaigns, the if you keep continue to fine tune it, the price per lead, it goes down lower, right? Mm-hmm. So it gets cheaper as time goes. Uh, I just don't know the scalability of it. Um, can, can you set, can you spend an unlimited amount in Google and get more leads? It, it, no, is the answer. Right. Where you are essentially, because you're, you're in a, a pretty urban location, there's a high population, so you're unlikely to hit it. Uh, we worked okay. with a company in New York and we were spending over 10,000 a month uh, in PPC ad spend, which for a lot of painting companies, they would think that's absolutely insane. But mm-hmm. there is a point of market saturation with Google ads because it is pay-per-click. Uh, what would happen is you actually wouldn't use your ad budget. So okay. you could, you might send some massive budget, but if there just isn't the volume of searches in your in your area, because it is a pay-per-click, you just wouldn't get enough clicks and you just wouldn't maximize your budget. But theoretically, there is a ceiling then. There is a ceiling, 100%. Yeah, yeah it's whatever the keyword search volume is and whatever you're targeting, that's mm-hmm. the... That's the, yeah. the other um, uh, the other digital strategy we've used is the social media. So as I mentioned already, it's a it's a really good tool to grow quickly early on in growth. Uh, I'm sure that some people use that as a continued tactic to to grow and, and scale. I'm I just really really want to scale back my Facebook ad spend. You don't, just, you don't like all those leads, man. The cost per lead is expensive. The, the average job size is lower. The close rate is lower. There, I think there's always going to be, there's always going to be a space for it in our marketing budget, but I'm hoping that it'll continue to be a smaller percentage of my overall spend. Yep. That makes yep. sense, man. It's, it's a good kicking off point. Yeah. But especially so working in this in Q4, you know, the algorithms, everything's more expensive in Q4. So when you're relying on paid ads, uh, mm-hmm. you're at the, at the mercy, not only are more painting companies, especially when they're, you know, exterior, exterior painting is no longer a thing. They're all mm-hmm. competing for the interior jobs. Uh, you also have e-commerce. So you have Black Friday, you have Christmas specials, New Year's specials, mm-hmm. which just increases the prices across the board for everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. 
And then the uh, the last strategy that we're planning on using long term is more of a um, a network marketing type approach. So that's essentially establishing relationships with other professionals to refer you business. So that's builders, realtors, uh, other tradespeople, you know, roofers, electricians. We're all we're all servicing the exact same people. So if I have relationships with those those types of professionals, it's a uh, you know, I send you one, you send me one. Doesn't have to be any paid relationship. Uh, one of the one of the tactics that we just committed to is um, I signed up for one year of advertising within a a, a realtor publication. It goes out to the top five hundred realtors in my county. So they, I have a full page ad in there once a month. They they're going to see that, and uh, they have three or four live events where realtors and the um, the sponsors can get together and rub elbows. You know, coffee chats and year-end events and all that. And uh, so it was, a, it was, I think it was like 1800 bucks or something for the year. It's, it, it, yeah, it's, it's wasn't so much that I'm like, oh, even if I never get one job, uh, it's fine. It's not a huge loss. But if I get one job, then it's automatically profitable, right? And what I'm looking forward to there is I, ha- I haven't got to one of their events yet. They've only had one and I was, I was busy. But I'm looking forward to meeting realtors who have worked with other painters and they can see me. Right? They can see, oh, Brad seems a little different than some of the other companies we've worked with. And if, if I can establish myself as a trusted partner with these realtors, that's a natural uh, referral lead source. Yep. They sell a house, uh, the buyer is going to paint it. Here we go. That's, yeah. a, that's a lead. I think people, people need to understand because I, I think there's this idea like, well, why would a realtor refer them to you? What do they get out of it if there's no paid relationship? Remember that a, a realtor is trying to provide value for the homeowner. So if they, if they know that a painting company or a plumber or whoever is going to do a good job and they refer that company and they save the homeowner the headache of finding them, that looks good for them. Now it's like, oh, wow, now they're going to be more likely to actually recommend that realtor to other people. So it's a win-win. That's why right. they would care. And realtors get asked for referrals on everything and they don't want to yeah. risk their reputation on someone they can't trust. And Yep. And if they say, them. hey, I, I don't know, well, then it, it's like a slight ding because it, it's something they weren't able to help with. Right. Oh, you've been a realtor for 20 years and you don't know any painters? Interesting. Yeah. yeah like, ooh, okay. Yep, exactly. Do you, do you, are you a member of any other groups, any other local networking groups or chapters or anything like that? No, I know a lot of guys have had success with like BNI mm-hmm. type networking groups. And I just think for the amount of time that you have to commit to it uh, and the potential return, I, I need a much higher lead volume than, you know, those 10 or 12 fellow members could provide me in the long term. Um, also, I'm not a morning guy. Uh, also, I don't, I, think, yeah. so. also, I don't like the, I don't like the forced referral thing. I don't, if, if I'm in a group with a, ref, with a realtor, for example, I have to give my referral to that realtor. Well, guess what? My brother-in-law is a realtor and one of our best friends is a realtor. I don't want to give my referral to this dude just because I'm in a BNI chapter with him. I don't think he's going to do as good a job you as my brother and my friend. That's, that's the rule. Oh, yeah, wow. you're, you're not supposed to be referring people outside of the group. That's the whole point. So yes. it's, it's, they're pretty strict about stuff like that. And I'm, I'm just not into it. I did do a cha- local chamber of commerce and uh, I got some business from that. Um, again, it was, it was in my hometown of Royal Oak, Michigan, where everyone knew me or my dad or my family. Uh, I haven't, I haven't re-upped my, uh, my membership there just because I didn't have the time to get down for all their meetings. Um, but that's something that could be, could be valuable. It could be a valuable lead source. It's yes. less, less commitment than a BNI. 
Sure. And I mean, I think the fact that you found this group with 500 realtors and a magazine, mm -hmm. you know, when you're looking for ROI on your time investment, um, mm -hmm. it's, it's probably going to produce a much higher ROI than BNI. Probably. Um, let's get into something you and I are both passionate about, both heavily involved in. The listeners are probably, for the most part, also involved in or at least familiar with PCA. Yep. So this is an interesting question. You know, I'm, I'm a PCA evangelist. I know you are. And obviously, Jason and Nick are the chairman and vice chairman. I am constantly referring the PCA out on our Facebook groups saying, come to the expo, become a member. And so many people will, what, what is it? In, what's in it for me? What do I get out of that membership? It's, it's, I think insane. The, it's insane to me. I'm going to, I'm going to stop. Honestly, every time I usually like, oh, well, there's all this training and there's the expo and there's the, and I'm just going to say, look at our industry. All the most successful people are in the PCA. If you want to be one of the most successful people, you should be in the PCA. That's it. And if you don't have aspirations to be that successful and within your business, you don't want to grow your business, then don't join the PCA. Yep. I mean, it's only like, it's like $400 to join. It's not that much anyway, but the reality is like, if, if I'm looking at it, like, oh gosh, that guy, that guy, that guy, that guy, all the guys that I want my business to look like, they're all members of the PCA. The logical thing to do is to join the PCA. And that's what I did. That's what I did when I first joined a couple of years ago with my old company is I didn't really even know what the benefits were. All I knew is that all the people that I wanted to be like were members and I wanted to be with all the people I wanted to be like. Yeah. So that's the number one for me. Right. And I can say, and this is not an exaggeration, that the PCA launched my business because if it wasn't for them, Jason Paris never would have invited me up to Minneapolis to check out his his operation. So I wouldn't have had that face to face uh, about a year ago with Jason. Um, I never would have been, Nick Slavic wouldn't be hosting his retreats. So I wouldn't have been invited there. There wouldn't even have been something to be invited to. And, and that's where I met all of my best friends within the industry. And those are the people that have helped me launch so makes sense man network, network with the best learn from the best yeah and I, I don't think this can be stressed enough you i know you've heard this that you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with right so you got to ask yourself do you want to be the average of people like jason paris and matt and maggie kuiper and nick slavic and ryan davis and brandon pierpont and brad ellison and whoever the people you look up to within the industry or do you want to be the average of all the cranky old painters in our facebook group you know, the drive beat up old trucks and just complain about Chucking everyone truck. else. Yeah. 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 I mean, no, you want to, if you want to be the average of good people, be around good people. And that's within the PCA. Yeah, man. Elevate your game, surround yourself with all stars mm -hmm. uh, and learn, be open to learning. That's another thing I would add. The, the network is huge with the PCA, but the learning opportunities are, are just as big. You know, that, like you said, the 400 or whatever it is a year, you have access to the overdrive. You have access to not just this podcast, which is publicly available as well, but tons of other podcast lessons. There's a business accelerator. It's insane. The, so the structured educational pieces are invaluable, but here's the other thing. You want to, you want to have a real education? Talk to Nick Slavic on the phone directly. What's crazy is about our industry right now at this time, the access to the top minds in our industry is there. You can literally speak directly to the chairman and vice chairman of the PCA and on, on any given day, they're going to give you all their knowledge and resources, their, you know, trade secrets, quote unquote, yeah, unquote. for free, right? And Talk that about will edu not last. That will not last. That, that okay. is not the case in plumbing. It's not the case in roofing. As this industry evolves, you're not going to have access to everyone forever. 
Yep. But right now you can. And I, I've told you, I, I have conversations once or twice a week with, with guys that are trying to launch painting companies or scale painting companies, and they just want to pick my brain. So I hop on a phone call and I give them 30 to 45 minutes of my time. Uh, I don't ask for a lot of them say like, well, can I, can I pay you for your time? You don't got to pay me for your time. Other people have done this for me. I'll do it for you. And you do it for someone else as you get further along. Yeah. Yeah. I love yeah. it, man. It's a great industry. Uh, you know, the PCA's mission is really to elevate the industry, professionalize mm-hmm. the industry. And it's exactly what you're doing with with your time there, what Jason and Nick are doing. It, it's what it's what's happening right now. Mm-hmm. And I, I think one, and I mention this quite often too, and maybe I'm freaking broken record, but the the best part about the PCA and the people within the PCA and the the offers from the PCA is it eliminates all need for creativity. Right? I didn't need to be creative in launching Ellison Payne. All I had to do was look at the most successful people, most talented people see what they were doing and, and copy it. So yeah, we are all going to make tweaks and changes. We're going to we're going to make decisions to to better suit our skill set or goals. But my my business, Ellison Painting is basically just a fast-growing clone hybrid of Paris Painting, Nick Slavic Painting, Harpeth Painting, PGH Painters, so on. Yeah. Yeah, and I know you you had actually gotten SOPs or had gotten documents and processes mm-hmm. from from friends that you made in the PCA. Uh, and it's this idea, don't reinvent the wheel. This is not a new business model. You, you might think it's new, but it's not. Wherever mm-hmm. you are, even if you're doing a little bit different, promise you, there are other people in the PCA and elsewhere mm-hmm. that are doing something very similar to you. Learn from them. You know, like you said, tweak it, mm-hmm. right? Tweak it, combine it to however you want to do. But this is a roadmap. Follow the roadmap. Otherwise, you're going to spend years trying to trying to build it yourself. I would ask this question: um, You know, if, to a guy like you, if you're going to start a painting company, Brandon, mm-hmm. do you think that you know more about painting or running a painting company than Jason Paris? I do not think that. Great. No. <laughs> get all get all his SOPs, get his written yeah. estimates, and just use those, my man. Yeah, exactly. It's going to save yeah. years. It saves years, right? Literally and people years and years, and then they'll come to the PCA. And it's like, oh man, crap. Like I should have done this 10 years ago. Do it now. Of course. Yeah. Of course. Cool. Let's get into, I love, I love hitting, you know, where the rubber meets the road, the tactics. Mm-hmm. There is, there is a place for mindset. I try not to make this podcast too mindset oriented, but the reality is that mindset is actually incredibly important. So let's get into the mindset. How are you having a shift from where you started you know, you're on that day-to-day, your grind, you know, get the Facebook leads, get leads coming through the door somehow, start building something. Mm-hmm. And then now looking out, now you're, now you're leveling up. You're saying, hey, 3 million. What's the mindset look like there? So my wife and I, we've, we've benefited even from when we first got married and we quit our jobs and we were, we were really, you know, pinching every penny to launch our first business. We benefited from still embracing an abundance my, mindset even back then. We moved forward in faith. We were confident that the efforts and the money that we put into our business were going to be returned over and over and over again. And that abundance mindset for us has has served us so, so well. And I think the most important part about this, about the abundance mindset, is I found that the more generous I am, the more open-handed I am with subcontractors and employees, the more successfully I am personally. Mm-hmm. Right. And so then you, then you like try to battle, you're like, okay, well, I don't want to be generous and selfishly, right. <laughs> kind of seems like that. Kind of, like, I don't want to give because I, then I know I'll get more, yeah. but I found that that's the result. If I want, if I want to, if I want to be generous with the people that are working with and for me, that the ultimate return is they, I also get more. 
right? Yeah. Everyone wins when I empower other people to win. Yeah. I've found that in my own life. You give and the universe will give back kind mm-hmm. of deal. Um, so again, like you said, you have faith in it. You know, mm-hmm. you have faith. Um, I know you're religious. You have faith in Jesus Christ and God, but having faith also just in your in your business and yourself and, and just karma, so mm-hmm. to speak, that does, it, it's been proven. You know, it does yeah. come back. Um, right. and, the, and the reality is not only there, not only is there enough business in our local market to go around between me and my, you know, competitors, uh, there's, there's definitely enough money within my business, within Ellison Painting for everyone. So yeah. I've, I've said this before, and some people probably think I'm lying, but my subs are actually making more money working my jobs than they would if they were to work on their own, right? I, I pay a higher percentage of the total job. Uh, and people pay a premium to get the Ellison painting customer experience. So the end result is subs are making more. Um, when I hired my project manager, I, I think I'm paying him like 50% higher than any of Nick Slavic's project managers. Um, so I, I paid him far above market rate, but it was because I had this vision to scale quickly and I wanted someone that was highly skilled, highly capable, and fully invested in my vision. Now, hopefully I can lower, you know, what I, what I pay project managers. Ron's going to have a lot more responsibilities than a normal project manager moving forward. So it made sense, but it, it, I was happy to give sacrificially for him to come on board because I really believed it was going to be a long-term win, not only for him, but for Ellison painting. So I could make more money if I paid my subs less. I could make more money if I paid project managers less. Um, I could probably make more money technically if I spent less on marketing uh, and just, you know, tried harder on my sales and pinched pennies here and there, but I'm, I'm already making more money than I need. And I think this approach is going to pay off way more financially in the long run anyway. Yeah. It's all an investment in your business. And Ron, you know, you brought him on, you knew he had a good skill set, And like you said, he's going to be taking over more things. He also took a risk. So when you, when you bring someone on earlier on in a business venture, if they're really good, they are taking a bigger risk because your company's not really established yet. So a lot of times you will have to compensate them a little bit higher uh, to, for that to make sense for them. Right. Considering the crazy high percentage of businesses that don't even survive year one, let alone year two, three, four, five, it certainly is a risk for him uh, to come on board. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. I love it, man. And uh, this abundance mindset in the in an interview I conducted with Jason Paris recently, uh, he was talking about how pe- people have this kind of closed minded, you know, they just react. So if you say, well, could you, would you want to entertain the idea of, let's say, moving from subcontractor to, to W2? And they would mm-hmm. just instantly, not that you need to do that, but it's just an example. They would instantly say, oh, no, I can't afford that because of X, Y, or Z. His pushback was, well, how much are subcontractors cost? And he uses subcontractors. So he's mm-hmm. not, this is just an example. How much are subcontractors costing you in, 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 in turnover, right? Or, or having to go back for, for touch-ups or whatever it mm-hmm. is. Um, okay. And then an example of what you just said, well, can you improve your professionalization, your marketing, your sales, so you're selling for higher revenue and therefore you're building in more profit margin. But it's looking at things holistically, not immediately, whatever it is, not immediately just saying, oh no, I can't. Mm -hmm. Maybe you can't, maybe you don't want to, but at least entertain the idea, have an abundance mindset at everything uh, for your business. 
Well, for sure. And the the benefit for us too is the data is there from different types of companies within our industry. You want to see what the gross profit per job is for an employee-based model? Talk to a guy that owns an employee-based model company. Want to talk to the same for a subcontractor-based model? You got it. You can see the data. And actually, I don't think the data is much different from one yeah. or the other. There's there's different benefits to having employees. There's different benefits to having subs. For now, I, I, would, I firmly believe that the sub model is the best for Ellison Painting. Mm-hmm. But um, I am smart enough to know that I don't know everything and that may change. And so I am always open. I mean, I'm open to uh, completely changing my entire business model. Maybe even not even being a painting company. What if a couple of years from now, there's an amazing opportunity to, to sell some other product or service that I think is going to be way more profitable and way more enjoyable and uh, way better for my workers. Hey, maybe we stop doing painting altogether and do something else. Yep. We should be open to that because... Uh, if, if we if we just have this tunnel vision of where our business, what we want our business to be and how we want it to operate, I think it's really going to limit our growth. And really what it's going to do is blind us to opportunities that present themselves along the way. So okay. do I think that Ellison Painting is eventually going to not paint and offer some other service? Highly, highly unlikely, but it's possible. Yep. At Ellison Painting, we're the best window replacement company in Detroit. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, I love it, man. Uh, let's talk about you. So you, you've come on, um, you're running this series for us. You're killing it. Uh, I appreciate it. You've been on a bunch of, you're actually the, the first, the first, uh, guest on the Painter Marketing Mastermind podcast. You kicked the whole thing off, which I felt great about, but I also felt bad about because the quality of the audio and stuff wasn't, wasn't quite where I wanted it to be at that point. But what, what are you doing in the PCA as you kind of, you're speaking at Sherwin Williams events. You're doing a lot right now. Mm-hmm. Well, we, I guess there's two, two facets here. Cause one, one of the things that I've thought about, um, you know, especially when it comes to marketing is your clout, right? When you, when you launch a business, when you meet someone in, you know, for the first time, you have nothing. And essentially what you're doing is you're borrowing the clout of other people or other organizations to establish some sort of reputation. And we all do it and it's not unethical. Uh, you know, People advertising Sherwin-Williams on their website. You're using Sherwin-Williams clout to present yourself as a professional. And, uh, so premium paint company. There you go, right? Yeah. And, uh, and I've certainly borrowed the clout of other people that I've met within the industry. Um, you can bet your butt that when I have Nick Slavic in town for a masterclass, that I'm going to post a picture of me, Nick, and Jason on my social media. Now, that doesn't help me sell paint jobs locally, but it helps to establish my reputation and build a little bit of my own clout within our industry, which is something that I am trying to do. Um, partly for the long-term strength and growth of my business, because I see the people with these uh, amazing reputations and they're, they're well-known and they have the clout, they're also running the most successful businesses. So I want to do that as well. Copying again. Maybe yeah, right. Yep. So that, but that's part of it. But I've also really latched on to their vision of giving back to the painter community. So now, now that I'm getting a little bit of notoriety, a few people know who I am. I'm looking forward to the expo and s- maybe someone's going to come up to me and say, oh my gosh, you're Brad Ellison. Can we talk for, for a little bit? And I'm happy to then give my time back. I'm going to so, ask you to sign the hat that you're going to send me. I will I get a signature. Yeah. I'll give you my John Hancock. Thanks. Man. So there's a, there's a bunch of different ways to build a personal brand or build a little bit of clout. So I've done a lot of podcasts. Um, I've been on your podcast more than, in, more than I've been on other people's podcasts. 
but I've been interviewed, you know, many, many times about Ellison painting. Uh, I did that reality TV show thing. Uh, really, again, that was there was no prize. I won the thing. There was no prize, but it gave me a little bit of clout and reputation. Um, I'm taking on speaking opportunities. So I've been invited to speak at the PCA Expo, which I'm super duper excited about. You are also speaking there, right, my friend? I am indeed. Yes, sir. Yep. And we're not speaking at the same time, which means we can hear each other. We can other's watch speech. each other's. Yeah. Um, getting invited to speak at, you know, nationwide, uh, conventions for painting franchises. Um, the Facebook group, I mean the Facebook group, I can't speak more highly of, of Tanner's Facebook group and how instrumental that's been to me in recruiting subs, uh, building a little bit of clout and, and name recognition. Um, it's a small group that, you know, not, not that many people and it's just like 150 some thousand so a couple, people, no, couple painters no, in there no big deal right yeah but then i i've taken that that big group and then i formed the a, a local facebook group the gathering of michigan painters to you know for networking opportunities and referrals and whatnot so i, I think that's i think that's important i think if people trust you if people see that you're a trusted name within the industry you're going to have a lot more opportunities for growth it's just going to make everything a lot easier so it's, it's not for everyone some people want to be you know, stay under the radar. And there's, there's even guys locally here in Michigan, you guys that are running, you know, $8 million companies, $10 million companies, and they don't have really a, a public presence within our industry. Um, no shame on them. They're, they've effectively built their business without it. Uh, I think in order for me to really be a resource for other people and give back, it's going to be helpful if people know who I am so that they reach out and then I can do what Jason and Nick and all these guys did for me. Yeah, man, hundred percent. I I am gonna need this is pretty unrelated, but I am gonna need you to address that reality TV show comment you just made. Have we not talked about that? You and I have talked about it briefly. We I certainly don't think we've talked about it on the podcast. I've been criticized because I didn't. I hardly publicized it at all. So it's a, it's the show called uh, The Blocks. It was created by a guy named Wes Bergman, which if you ever watch Real World or The Challenge on MTV, he's like, he's, he's one of the main people on those shows. He's been on season after season, won all these challenges, et cetera. He's, his real job is he's a venture capitalist. So he created this venture capital firm in um, uh, Overland Park, Kansas, uh, the major metropolitan mecca, tech mecca of Overland Park. <laughs> and he, uh, so he, he's like a business incubator and he had this idea, you know, he's like, well, I have all this reality show experience and I have this venture capital experience. So he created this show called the blocks where he invites entrepreneurs there to, uh, basically for an entrepreneur boot camp. you're going to learn about marketing. You're learning about copywriting. You're going to learn about sales and, and networking and strat, like all these different types of strategies. And they film it, and then it's it's basically gamified. So every day you're doing pitches based on that day's content. So it's a it's a it's a week long thing, and they air it. I think my season was aired over seven or eight episodes. And uh, you know, I, I went in thinking, yeah, I think I could be okay at this. I, I ran a marketing agency. I've been in sales for a long time. I've toured the country singing professionally, so I'm certainly comfortable in front of people and, and cameras. I'm like, you know, may, maybe I'll do okay. Maybe I'll end up in like the top 10. Well, uh, spoiler alert at the end, I got first place out of 60 entrepreneurs. That's awesome. Okay? Like a painter, just a, a painter from Detroit won the whole thing. That's awesome. 
So it was a lot of fun. It was like a perfect, perfect storm of all of my skills, all of my knowledge, all in one place. The right, they picked the right topics that were just super duper relevant to what I had been doing. Um, and it, and it was a lot of fun, but so it, it aired it's, it's, so it's called the blocks. You can find it on Facebook at beta blocks, B E T A B L O X. There's also an app that you can download that you can watch on. It's called beta blocks. Uh, I'm on season four and, um, you can watch it. Yeah. Sorry. I spoiled it, but I love it. So they gave you not, so you won and you didn't get anything. I have a little plaque that says like best startup on the blocks. <laughs> That's kind of lame, man. It's all right. It was cool. I mean, I didn't do it we for the prize. like a hundred thousand VC funding or something. Man, yeah, I did it. I did it for the experience. I met some it's really, cool really experience. cool people there that I, I stay in touch with on a regular basis. Made some good connections that might turn into something, you know, business wise. Uh, what I'd really like to do is eventually go back and be a judge and, yeah. um, you know, help those other contestants as they're coming in. So it sounds like it was a little bit different from uh, Love Island or The Bachelor or something. If well, it had been anything yeah. like those, I think my wife would have had a big problem. <laughs> I think she probably would have. Yeah, that is a good point. Okay. Yeah. Um, thank you for entertaining me there on that one. Sure. So the, the, as you're scaling, mm-hmm. you know, one of, one of the things I run into sometimes when I'm talking with painting companies is they, they underestimate. I always use Jason Paris's, you know, Sherwin-Williams paint store uh, mm-hmm. math example, but they underestimate the opportunity in their market and they think they need to... Uh, go downstream or upstream or expand geographically. So I want to I want to touch on your plans, uh, long term plans for Ellison Painting, and whether you plan to keep that all local or expand geographically, or how you think about this. Sure. So if you had asked me like four or five years ago when I was working at the other company, I would say that you know maybe the market cap for a decent painting company in Metro Detroit is like three million dollars, and we were at two and a half. But now, obviously, I've met other painting company owners locally who have far surpassed that. And I've met other painting company owners around the country in markets that are similar or even smaller than Detroit that have far surpassed that. I think, I think if a business is structured correctly and the right people are at the helm, the, there may not be any, any low cap on, on what you can do within the market. If you look at someone like Lauren Fink, Apex Painting in Hillsdale, Michigan, Hillsdale, Michigan, where she lives, is smaller than any city locally. I mean, where I live, it's like having 50 Hillsdales all right next to each other. And she's in this little tiny rural area. And she's going to do pr- probably over a million this year in her, in her second year. And she's got, she said she's got room to grow. So if Lauren Fink can do that in Hillsdale, you know, what can we do in Metro Detroit? Now, there is a couple differences. And there's advantage to being in Hillsdale because there's far less competition. There's 8,000 people in Hillsdale. There you go. I just Googled it. 8,000 people. Good for you. And the, the township that like I live a, in. Like a college, man. Yeah. I live in a township, which is like a, in around where I live, it's pretty small, 22,000 people. You yeah. know, the cities that I sell into are like 75,000 and 80,000, 100,000 yeah. that are all within 20 minute drive of me. So, uh, but as I was saying, it's uh, less competition. There's not ma- as many painters up there. Um, easier to build brand awareness, brand recognition, probably lower cost of marketing. But here where I am, there's just like so many people I can sell to and so many more people I could hire as painters. So yes. there's, there's advantages both sides. So I think that based on what I've seen other people do, Ellison Painting could be doing $10 million just in painting alone in Metro Detroit within the next four years or so. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's totally 
feasible. Um, there, I did have an opportunity recently to expand down into Cleveland. I met a couple of guys who were interested in starting Ellison Painting down there. So I would own it, but they would run it and we would do some sort of like profit share type compensation. Something that I really wanted to do, uh, my peer advisory board talked to me out of it. They said, it's not the time. You got a lot of, a lot of things to focus on within Ellison Painting in Detroit. Do that first and maybe you know, go other places next year. I had, I had toyed with the idea of offering other services. So in, maybe it's Ellison Home Services and we are installing gutters and installing windows and doing roofing. But man, I know painting and I because there's so much room for growth there, I don't see a need to expand into other services, at least not yet. Yeah. Maybe I do the Jason Phillips approach in years down the road we start expanding. But for now, we're keeping our eyes on the prize when it comes to painting. Yeah. I think people people make the mistake sometimes of thinking they've tapped out a market, uh, but it's, it's because they really haven't actually marketed. Um, they haven't really dialed that in. So, they're, so mm-hmm. they're, they think, oh, well, we, we have all the leads. Well, actually, you only have a small segment. You just mm-hmm. not necessarily tracking all the data or thinking it all through. So, you don't even, you don't realize how much opportunity you're leaving on the table right now. Right. And as you, and as you grow, grow bigger and as you scale and as you have more money for marketing, you can explore other marketing tactics that you never even could have considered. Hmm. Uh, we, you could be talking about, uh, radio or TV ads. I mean, now you're opening up a whole different ball game where you have the money to do it. And if the ROI is there, that's something I would consider in the future. Right. But I, the, the last time I looked into that, it was like $25,000 minimum monthly spend and, I don't have the marketing budget for that yet. Yep. Yeah. Make sure you are tracking that ROI if you mm-hmm. go go some go that way. But one thing I really like what you brought up is okay, you you had an opportunity. A lot of people that's a tough thing to turn down. You know, people so want to open it, another city, you'll you'll profit share, you know, it's going really well where you're at. Get it dialed in. Get it mm-hmm. dialed in, locked in where you're at before you start expanding to a second and third location. Because mm-hmm. so our goal is to get to 10 million in painting revenue locally, um, but a lo- somewhere along that path to 10 million, I do have the goal to start going nationally. And I don't want to do franchises. I don't think. Again, I'm open to it. I haven't made my mind anywhere in any certain direction. Um, but the the stated goal in our 10 year vision is 10 cities in 10 years. So that, you know, could be Cleveland and Columbus and Cincinnati and Fort Wayne, Indiana, whatever, kind of start from Detroit and expand outwards, just implementing uh, Ellison painting systems in each of these areas. So I would, I would own the whole thing or me. And if I have partners at that point, me and my partners would own it, uh, but find integrators and just implement our systems. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. And then kind of one final topic I want to discuss with you as we wrap up this series, this four-part series, you obviously are on a mission mm-hmm. right now. Your growth has been uh, very impressive for the the small amount of time you've been operating. And you've walked us through how you've done that, the advantages you had and how other people can try to do something similar. Mm-hmm. What's your, do you have a mission? Do you have something, you know, obviously you want to survive and, and you want your family to profit, mm-hmm. but do you have something else driving you for this? Yeah. I mean, I think we all, we all serve a, a higher purpose, right? And, you know, we've said it on this show before, you know, I'm a believer, I'm a follower of Jesus. And um, I try to, to honor that and honor my faith and all the decisions. But from a purely business perspective, you know, I didn't grow up with a lot of money. Um, I grew up in a nice area and I, I certainly wouldn't say that I was um, 
underprivileged. I, I had many privileges that most people didn't, but we didn't have a lot of money. Uh, mom and dad didn't go to college. Mom and dad didn't make a lot of money. Mom and dad divorced when I was in eighth grade and you know, set our family on a whole different course. And one of the things that I've been heavily focused on within my, my personal life, and now I'm expanding this into my business, is this idea of changing legacies. Uh, on, a, on a personal level, I'm trying to change the legacy within my family of of divorce and broken families, right? Um, my kids, uh, I'm sorry, I'm going to get emotional for a second. Um, my kids are growing up in a, a family where mom and dad love each other. And dad is open with his affection and his support and his discipline. And I'm changing the legacy that was given to me from, from my family and that was given to them from my grandparents. And uh, I'm fortunate to have found a partner and a wife that is, shares that vision. And while she comes from just a tremendous legacy, she's, she's so heavily focused on helping me change the legacy for, for my family, right? But to take it to a personal level, the a lot of a lot of painters come from painters, and the painters they came from are not running multi-million dollar businesses. They're they scraped by for decades, painting houses and being underpaid and underappreciated, and the and their kids that are now some of my painters are simply in painting because they think that's kind of all there is. It's all they ever knew. It's all they know how to do. And they don't really have a vision for beyond that. So I want to create opportunities through Ellison Painting that my employees and my subs can change their families' legacies like I've been changing mine. Um, now I can't control how they raise their kids, but I can help provide <laughs> that financial opportunity. Yeah. So many painters simply survive. They, you know, they languish for years. I don't want them to survive. I want them to thrive, which is why I'm so passionate about, in theory, overpaying my guys. I want them to be so blessed by Ellison Painting because they're blessing me and my family just by being willing to work with us. Yes. So for, for Rachel and I, it's about helping to change legacies. I'm less concerned about creating a legacy and I'm more, con more concerned about changing legacies. We all come from broken pasts, broken situations, hurt and distrust, but we all have the ability to change that. And I'm, I want people, I want people to see that that's possible. And I'm hoping that Ellison painting can be a vehicle to say, wow, this is now, this is not something I would have ever imagined before that could be possible. Now I see it. And now they have a vision. Love that, man. Yeah. Brad, that that is deep. That's incredible. This <laughs> series, The Birth of a Giant, I did I did make you name it that because it is the birth of a giant. So now you have something pretty big time to live up to. I wanted to put a stake in the ground there for you. Um, you have anything else? This has been just just awesome, right? So we're we're doing all kinds of series this year, 2023, for the third season mm -hmm. of the Pain Marketing Mastermind Podcast. Yours is just incredibly unique because it's starting over. It's starting mm -hmm. from scratch and just getting an inside look. You're still in year one. You're eight months in uh, creating this just awesome company. I'm um, doing really well so far. Is there anything else you want to add about this series before we wrap it up? No, not really. I just want to, I just want to uh, thank you. I appreciate you giving me the platform and having the vision for this, this mini series. I really, really hope that it'll help other people uh, start or continue their journey um, similar to what I've been doing. Um, I think that the guys like you, but you specifically within our industry are valuable. You're 
a, an honorable man, high integrity man, and uh, and knowledgeable. So, but the first two I think are are most important. Um, so I would encourage people that listen to this to reach out to Brandon if you need help with your marketing. Um, I'd encourage you to reach out to me if you just have some questions and want to pick my brain for a little bit. It's free of charge, and I'd encourage you to reach out to the PCA and and do bite the bullet four hundred dollar membership. If you can make it to Expo, get to Expo. Take advantage of the resources that are available if you're really trying to grow your painting business. And then let's all just constantly be so thankful and grateful that we found ourselves in an industry that I think is providing opportunities right now like no other. Thank you, Brad. Appreciate it, brother. Yeah. All right, buddy. We'll talk to you soon. If you want to learn more about the topics we discussed in this podcast and how you can use them to grow your painting business, Visit paintermarketingpros.com forward slash podcast for free training, as well as the ability to schedule a personalized strategy session for your painting company. Again, that URL is paintermarketingpros.com forward slash podcast. Hey there, painting company owners. If you enjoyed today's episode, make sure you go ahead and hit that subscribe button. Give us your feedback. Let us know how we did. And also, if you're interested in taking your painting business to the next level, make sure you visit the Painter Marketing Pros website at paintermarketingpros.com to learn more about our services. You can also reach out to me directly by emailing me at brandon at paintermarketingpros.com and I can give you personalized advice on growing your painting business. Until next time, keep growing. Paynet podcasts are produced by the Painting Contractors Association and are made possible by members and industry partners. To find out more about upcoming education opportunities or for more information about joining PCA, visit PCAPainted.org.